Hi, friends. Welcome back to Have You Met Her, a podcast about amazing women. I'm Paige, and I've been digging into the lives of some lesser-known women in history and then sharing some of their stories with you. I'm not going to lie. Last month's episodes, where we talked about Native American women, was fascinating. But the stories and research that I did to better understand their stories weighed really heavy on my heart. For this month, I wanted to keep things a little bit lighter. So, as my holiday gift to you, we're going to be talking about women who were interesting and charming, defying norms, and unapologetically themselves. For our first episode this month, I chose a woman who was the most eccentric first daughter to ever enter the White House. Her sense of self was so complete that she lived her life on her own terms, and the world loved to watch her antics. Her father, President Roosevelt, is quoted as saying, I can do one of two things. I can be President of the United States, or I can control Alice. I cannot do both. She was just as strong-willed and outspoken as her father. Buckle up and enjoy learning about some of her amazing adventures. Here's episode 41. Have you met Alice Roosevelt Longworth? Never once in my previous 40 episodes have I ever claimed that the women that we talk about are perfect. Some of them aren't even completely likable, but every single one of them had a passion, an action, or a viewpoint that is worth celebrating and admiring. And that's the thing. History is full of imperfect men that are collectively forgiven for their problematic features. We ignore, avoid, or just don't ever talk about their errors while still celebrating their successes. Through my research, it's become more and more apparent to me that women in history aren't given that same attitude. We use any unlikable, problematic, or errors made by women as the reason why we don't need to bother learning about them. And if a woman is strong and builds a platform for herself, it's viewed as annoying and in bad taste. It's a double standard that women bear in the world and a motivating factor to why this podcast is so important to me. So what does all this have to do with Alice Roosevelt Longworth? Well, you might not agree with Alice's life choices, and that's completely okay. We get to decide who we are and what's important to us. But even if we don't necessarily like all of Alice, I hope that her outrageous big personality at least brings a smile to your face and you can admire her confidence and her quirks. On September 14, 1901, the President of the United States, William McKinley, died from the gunshots that an assassin had fired into his stomach at Point Blank Range eight days earlier. We talked a little about anarchist Leon Kolgosh in episode three about Alma Goldman. But anyway, per custom and political appointment, Vice President Theodore Roosevelt was sworn in as the 26th president on this day. Polls of historians and political scientists rank President Roosevelt as one of the greatest presidents in American history. 
popular culture is said to rank Alice Roosevelt Longworth as the most well-known and controversial first daughter. Let's talk about why. Baby Alice Lee Roosevelt was the only child born to Theodore Roosevelt, at the time a New York State Assemblyman, and his first wife, named Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt, a Boston banking heiress. For those Hamilton fans out there, Theodore was the fourth cousin thrice removed of the Schuyler sisters, Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy. Baby Alice was born on February 12, 1884. Two days later, tragedy struck the family twice. First, Theodore's mother, Martha Stewart Bullock, died of typhoid fever. Then, just 11 hours later, Mama Alice died of undiagnosed kidney failure. 25-year-old Theodore was devastated. He had loved his beautiful wife and was overcome with grief. The loss was too much to bear for most of his life. Even in his autobiography, he left out any mention of his wife, Alice. Needing to tend to his own grief, Teddy left for his ranch in the Badlands of North Dakota. Baby Alice was sent to his sister, Anna, to look after. Although this sounds like a heartless, dismissive thing for a father to do, it really did turn out for the best. Teddy got to beat up a gunfighter in a saloon. He hunted buffalo and he drank in North Dakota. Meanwhile, baby Alice was looked after lovingly by her aunt, whom she called Aunt Bai. Anna lived in a house full of books and was an independent, smart woman. Aunt Bai left a great impression on Alice. She admired her aunt and would go to her for advice and connection throughout her life. Alice said in her later years, talking about her aunt's by, if Auntie Bai had been a man, she would have been president. While Teddy was in North Dakota dealing with his trauma, he did write often to check on his daughter. He called her Baby Lee because the name Alice was just too painful for him. In one letter he sent to Anna, he said, I hope Mousykins will be very cunning. I shall love her dearly. In December of 1886, Theodore married his high school sweetheart, Edith Kermit Caro, and sent for his daughter to come and live with them. Edith had known the mother Alice. Her beauty and spirit seemed childish to Edith and Edith was jealous of her husband's obvious love for his first wife. This jealousy had a huge effect on how Alice was treated. The relationship between young Alice and her new stepmother was cold and dismissive. Her parents ended up having five children, and those children always seemed to be favored by Edith because they were her children, and by Teddy because when he looked at his older daughter, he was reminded of his wife, Alice. So basically, Alice's formative years were spent with not much affection from her parent figures, except Aunt Bai. Instead of making Alice shy, insecure, and withdrawn though, Alice became independent, outgoing, and extremely self-confident. Yay for Alice, right? Well, not according to her parents. While her father served as the governor of New York, 
Edith suggested that they should probably send 15-year-old Alice to a conservative boarding school, hoping that they would be able to teach Alice to behave like a proper young lady. When Theodore brought it up to Alice, she refused to go, taking to her room and crying daily, saying that if he forced her to attend, she would find a way to publicly shame and humiliate him, a harsh threat to a politician. Alice stayed at home, and she somehow convinced her father that instead of her going away for her education, she wanted him to let her loose in his library. Through his books, she taught herself astronomy, geology, even Greek grammar. She read Mark Twain, Charles Dickens, Darwin, and the Bible cover to cover. And every day, she would share with her father what she had learned from his books. When Theodore Roosevelt was sworn in as president, their family moved into the White House. According to Lena Mann, a historian with the White House Historical Association, he brought with him a wife and children whose antics charmed a country long accustomed to a young, vivacious first family. There were six rambunctious children and lots of animals. It really was a spectacle. People had a lot of interest in Roosevelt and his family. The Roosevelts were animal lovers and brought all of their pets with them to the White House, including horses, dogs, cats, birds, rabbits, a badger, and a flying squirrel. 17-year-old Alice, though, quickly became the press's favorite topic. Alice was lovely, but she would still join her younger siblings in their adventures. She roller-skated in the East Room, slid down the banister of the Great Staircase, and moved through the hallways on stilts. She was impeccably dressed, but would startle people constantly when she would reach into her purse or pocket and pull out her favorite pet, a snake that she named Emily Spinach. Alice's debutante ball was thrown on January 3, 1902. This tradition was held for young women of high society to present themselves to the world as eligible to marry. Not super eager to get hitched, but always up for a party and an opportunity to scope out eligible young men, Alice insisted that the party be held during the holiday break, when young men were home from school. Over 600 people attended the ball in the East Room of the White House. No word on whether or not the snake attended. The photographs and reports of the event pushed Alice into the spotlight and made her and her nickname, Princess Alice, a household name. Everything that Alice did was watched and copied. A beautiful shade of blue-gray, said to match the color of Alice's eyes, became known as Alice Blue and was a popular color choice for dresses, shoes, and wraps. All of the attention and adoration was intoxicating to Alice, and she became even more unapologetically herself. When her father, remember, the President of the United States, saw a photo of Alice smoking, he was horrified. He firmly put his foot down, saying that no daughter of his would smoke under his roof. Alice complied and could be often found on the White House roof, smoking 
but not under her father's roof. Alice's antics completely stressed out her parents. Why couldn't she be prim and proper? Why must she fight against the strict rules that the White House officials gave her? Everyone in authority braced themselves for the PR nightmares that Alice would surely cause. Except she didn't. The public adored Alice. They found her rebelliousness refreshing and authentic. Alice continued stirring up trouble when she drove around Washington, D.C., both by herself and with multiple unmarried young men. Alice bet on horse races and sporting events. Alice chewed gum in public, occasionally blowing bubbles to bursting. She boldly pronounced herself a pagan. There wasn't a shy or demure bone in her body. She had a smart brain, could speak her thoughts, no matter how contrary they were, eloquently, and she wasn't afraid to let loose her wild spirit that she felt no need to tame. The White House mailroom had to hire an additional secretary just to handle all the fan mail that Alice received. The New York Herald printed a running score of Alice's social life over a 15-month period of time. During that time, it was said that Alice attended 407 dinners, 350 balls, 300 parties, 680 teas, and 1,706 social calls. I am exhausted just reading that list. President Roosevelt wasn't just frustrated with Alice's wild lifestyle. He was also frustrated that she often barged into the Oval Office to share a political opinion with her father. It was during a meeting with his friend, Owen Wister, that the exhausted President Roosevelt made his famous quip, I can either run the country or I can attend to Alice, but I cannot possibly do both. Instead of trying to attend to Alice, President Roosevelt came up with a grand plan to keep his daughter out of mischief. He started to rely on Alice to act as White House hostess for formal occasions and would allow her to attend events as a substitution if he was unable to attend. By 1905, President Roosevelt had built up enough confidence to send Alice with a large peace delegation to Asia. The group, which included Alice's friend and a love interest, Ohio Representative Nicholas Longworth traveled to Japan, China, Korea, and the Philippines. Alice was treated like royalty, and the American press praised the first daughter. In true Alice fashion, though, there was one incident. During the cruise to Japan, Alice jumped into the ship's swimming pool, fully clothed, even managing to persuade a congressman to join her. Years later, Bobby Kennedy teased the then 80-plus-year-old Alice about this outrageous display. Alice replied that it would only have been outrageous if she had removed her clothes before she jumped in the pool. After weeks of speculation by the press, the engagement of Alice and Congressman Longworth was announced on December 13, 1905. Alice kept a scrapbook of all the news articles and notes of congratulations about her engagement she received. The couple were married in the renovated East Wing of the White House on February 17, 1906. 
The wedding was held at 11 a.m., and the ceremonies almost 100 guests attended the wedding breakfast after. Alice wouldn't be Alice without a dramatic display, and she didn't disappoint at her wedding. She cut the wedding cake with a sword that she had borrowed from a military aide. Now that Alice was married, she was no longer a first daughter living at the White House, but she remained a frequent visitor. As her Aunt Bai was growing old and ill, Alice became a sort of unofficial political consultant for her father. The press continued following her exploits. In 1906, Alice was forming a prominent, if unofficial, political persona. When she campaigned for her new husband in Ohio, one newspaper wrote, Ah, if one and only once Ohio could vote for Mrs. Nicholas Longworth instead of her husband, what a landslide there would be. When the time came for the Roosevelt family to move out of the White House so that President Taft and his family could move in, Alice buried a voodoo doll of Nellie Taft, the new first lady, in the front yard. When Alice's magic was found, she was officially barred from the White House, the first of two times that happened. The second was after a particularly body joke at Woodrow Wilson's expense. Alice remained married to Congressman Longworth, but they weren't always happy together. Nicholas was a drinker and had girlfriends that he saw throughout their marriage. Alice decided that what was good for the gander was good enough for the goose, and had her own romantic relationships outside of her marriage. During the election of 1912, Alice publicly supported her father's progressive party instead of her husband's Republican party. And the Longworth's relationship was never the same after that. Alice helped bury her father in 1919 and gave birth to her only child in 1925, a daughter she named Paulina. The Great Depression hit the nation. Nick Longworth died in 1931, and Alice decided to allow pictures of herself to be used in cold cream and cigarette advertisements, a way to earn money to support herself and her daughter. President Franklin D. Roosevelt found himself a victim of Alice's sharp tongue and firm opinions. She wrote a syndicated newspaper column where she condemned the president's politics and policies and attempts to combat the Great Depression. Alice was a lifelong member of the Republican Party, but her political sympathies began to change when she became close to the Kennedy family and Lyndon B. Johnson. She once told President Johnson that she always wore broad-rimmed hats to meet him just so that he couldn't kiss her. She was also recorded in a telephone conversation with Nixon and on the Nixon White House tapes, criticizing the 1972 Democratic nominee. Nixon called Alice the most interesting conversationalist of the age and said that no one, no matter how famous, could ever outshine her. For six decades, Alice hosted a salon in her DuPont Circle home. It was here that views were shared, favors were exchanged, and deals were struck. Alice invited scientists, authors, 
conservationists, diplomats, and politicians of all persuasions. She remained known for her witty remarks. Embroidered on a pillow in her home was the saying, If you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me. Before Alice passed away at age 96, she was quoted in a magazine interview saying, All I've really done is to have a good time. I've covered a lot of territory. I'm amused and, I hope, amusing. One of my favorite things about Alice Roosevelt Longworth was that she knew that she wasn't everyone's cup of tea. She obviously enjoyed getting a reaction out of people, but she never did or said anything that she didn't believe in. She had a thick skin, which allowed her to speak fearlessly and stand by her convictions. In a Washington Post interview from 1974, Alice said, I don't think I'm insensitive or cruel. I laugh. I have a sense of humor. I like to tease. I must admit, a sense of mischief does get a hold of me from time to time. Isn't it strange how that upsets people? And I don't mind what I do unless I'm hurting someone in some way. To research today's episode, I read the books, White House Wild Child, How Alice Roosevelt Broke All the Rules and Won the Heart of America by Shelley Frazier Mickle, Hissing Cousins, The Untold Story of Eleanor Roosevelt and Alice Roosevelt Longworth by Timothy Dwyer and Mark Pizer, and the children's book, What to Do About Alice by Barbara Curley. I also read articles from the Theodore Roosevelt Center, Sandbox.us, WhiteHouseHistory.org, and White House Kids series of the Reagan Library Education blog. If you're enjoying the podcast, the best way that you can support it is to take a minute and rate the podcast, especially on Apple or Spotify. Writing a few sentences about your favorite episode really does help make the podcast more visible for people like you who may enjoy it. Please consider sharing this podcast with your friends. If you have an idea for a theme that you'd like to explore with me or a specific woman that you want to make sure is on the list, please email me at haveyoumetherpodcast at gmail.com. To those of you who've listened from the beginning, sent me messages with feedback, ideas, or questions, thank you. I may be sitting in my closet recording these episodes, but I think about you when I'm researching, writing, recording, and editing. Please visit our Instagram page at Have You Met Her Podcast to see some pictures of Alice Roosevelt Longworth. I try to upload the episode description and pictures a day or two early on Instagram. So if you want that insider scoop, follow me there. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform that you're using so that you never miss an episode. See you next week when we'll talk about another woman who defied norms and was unapologetically herself.